The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. This morning, I want to talk to you about um, some practical things. Last night was heavy, and for me, preparing that message was heavy. I feel a sense of urgency with your generation because so many people are, uh, are turning away from the faith um, and I want to say this, um, I had, had a couple of really cool conversations last night after the, the service. If Jesus is the author of your faith, you will not fall away. You just won't, man. And so what you, ha- what you and I have to wrestle with is who's the author of my faith? My grandmother was four foot 11. We called her Dinky. Um, she, I, I had the joy and privilege. One of the greatest honors of my life was preaching her funeral in 2013. She was a, she was in her 90s. She, she was a woman who staunchly, she was a good Presbyterian, the good brand of Presbyterian. Uh, like there's like, there's like six flavors. Uh, um, all the denominations keep fragmenting, you know, and, um, but she was, she sung in the choir and it was like uh, always, every time I'd go to her little PCA church, uh, she'd be up there in the choir, they wear the robes, you know, and, and it reminded me of that scene in Monsters, Inc. when Mike Wazowski's real excited because he's on the commercial, but his face is blocked out. You remember that? And Sully's like feeling bad, and then, but Mike Wazowski misses the whole, he's like, I made it on TV, you know, and, and I remember she would stand up there and it would be like head, 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 and then her little head, and she'd have that song book up. She's like, you know, she made Danny DeVito look tall, and she loved Jesus. She prayed for us, but but I remember her saying to me, um, Brody, my faith is not your faith, you know, and you, you have to, I'm not the author of your faith, and she prayed for me, and my mom prayed for me, but if Jesus is the author of your faith, then you're going to be just fine. You're not going to drift away. You're not going to walk away. You'll have seasons of doubt, seasons, this, th- there's, there's uh, clear evidence of strong believers in the scripture turning away, and then the Lord bringing them back. My favorite one is John Mark, who leaves a missionary journey, abandons the team, later wants to come back. Paul says, no, you can't come back on our team. You quit. You're a quitter. We don't let quitters on our team. It's intense. Sometimes the New Testament and the book of Acts especially gets intense. And it's, uh, there's no coddling that goes on. And he's like, no, you're, you're not going to be on our team. You're off the team because you chose to quit. And uh, later, at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, he writes the, the final thing that Paul wrote was his letter to, second, uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And he says, uh, in that letter, he says, send to me John Mark, for he's useful for ministry. So he grew. He came around. He grew. Um, what I want to do this morning is consider some practical things that you can do to chart your course as an adult. You are adults. You're adults. Everybody say, I'm an adult. It just feels good to hear y'all say that. You're in a generation that has this stunted idea of adolescence where it's like, let's prolong it. And so we've got 25 and 30-year-old men. They're biological men. Um, they're psychological adolescents. They're emotional adolescents. Ladies, you don't want to be with a guy like that. Uh, you want somebody that's mature and growing and embraces responsibility. Um, and so we want to look at, uh, I want to look at some things that as young men and young women in adulthood that you can begin to do to start your journey, man, to start your course right, to chart a course and to walk out your faith. We're going to go quick. It's a ton of bullet points. It's, it's a lot of information that I teach in our institute 
and with our staff um, here in the year-round program over a series of multiple weeks, multiple um, sessions. I'm just going to give you a bunch of bullet points, and hopefully it'll trigger some talking points. Let's read this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. This morning I'm reading from the New American Standard um, because I like the way it, uh, this particular verse reads better. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. I did away with childish things. I think the ESV says I put away childish things, but I did away with childish things. So he says, when I was a child, and the word for child, there's, there's some variations on that word in the Greek uh, language, but we're talking about prior to adulthood. Prior to, so we could say 18, that's the legal adult in our, in our country. Um, prior to adulthood, um, I behaved like a child, and Paul would say it's okay to behave like a child when you're a child. But when you become a man or a woman, when you become an adult, you put away those childish things. And so what does that look like? Well, he, he, he breaks it down into three things. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, reasoned like a child, spoke like a child. So if you see those three things as sort of these markers, um, I used to speak like a child, I used to think like a child, I used to reason like a child. Speaking like a child, that's simple enough. It's, that's uh, immature uh, language. That's, I would say that's using swear words and cuss words and crude talk and, and, uh, and, and not, not being able to articulate yourself well. But as you ha- are entering into this season of adulthood, learning how to articulate yourself, communicate uh, well. And then he said, I reason like a child. And reasoning like a child is the idea that I processed information um, in a certain way, and oftentimes reasoning like a child leads to um, a shirking of responsibility, finger pointing, a refusal to accept responsibility, making excuses, feeling sorry for yourself, feeling like a victim. When the Bible says, in Christ you overwhelmingly conquer. In Christ, you overwhelmingly conquer. So we come to this dilemma where it's like, okay, well, I feel like a victim, but the Scripture says I'm a conqueror, so what is it? Well, it's what the Scripture says. It's, but, but the conquest is not a normal conquest in the world's eyes. It's a conquest of doubt and anxiety and self-loathing and guilt and shame over past sin. I begin to reason through the lens of the gospel, not through the lens of human experience. Human experience cannot be what drives the way you reason out your life. What God says to be true, that's what has to drive the way that you reason out your life. And then he says, not only that, but I would think like a child, and now I think like a man. I want to I speak to the guys for just a second, the men. And ladies, listen up, and you might want to take notes, because this is what the Scripture teaches a man should be. This is what the Word of God says a man should be. I'm taking this, uh, this first part of what I want to give you right here. I want to give you three categories, four categories right quick. This is going to be fast bullet points, um, not a lot of elaboration. I want to give you uh, three masculine virtues to begin with. Three masculine virtues according to Scripture. Men, if we could just dial into this for a minute, I want to, I want to say that the Scripture teaches us that the three masculine virtues laid out when God commissions Adam in Genesis chapter 2 are wisdom, workmanship, and strength. Wisdom, workmanship, and strength. And I want to encourage you to grow in those areas. Men, grow in wisdom. 
The Proverbs are full of sayings and writings from a wise father to his son. And they have to do with growing in wisdom. Growing in wisdom is growing in discernment. It's growing in decision-making ability. It's growing in the way you process information, the way you process what is real and what's not real. The way you see yourself, the way you see the world, grow in wisdom. Wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is taking an accumulation of knowledge, surrendering it to the Lord, and letting the process of sanctification that God's taking you through grow you. Wisdom workmanship. This is simply from the, from the standpoint of being a person who's being set apart by Jesus and conformed. In my personal Bible reading this morning, I read Romans 8. I'm really tired this morning. When I'm really tired, I just read Romans 8 and Ephesians 2. I start there. I've done that 1,000 times in my life, maybe 10,000 times. I go there and I'm like, okay, I'm just, I just need a good, deep drink of water here. Roman, you need some passages like that. I'm going through Romans 8, get to that, pa- that verse verse 29 where he says that God's purpose in saving us is to conform us to the image of Jesus and Paul would write to uh, the both Ephesians and the Philippians that we are God's workmanship he's working in us but then also we need to be hard workers God made you to work he did not make you to be lazy listen to me he did not make you to sit on the couch and play video games eight hours a day he did not make you to do that so grow the heck up and be a man Push back against culture. Push back against society. Being a man has nothing to do with how much you bench press. Being a man has nothing to do with uh, how good you shoot a gun or how big of a truck you drive. Being a man has to do with growing in wisdom, growing in workmanship, and then growing in strength, physical strength, emotional strength, spiritual strength, becoming strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So there's those masculine virtues that Paul would point us to. Um, Next, I want to give you from Michael Foster's book, It's Good to Be a Man, five things that modern man needs to stop. This is really funny, but really true and really applicable. Five things that modern man needs to stop doing. Number one, he needs to stop seeking praise. Modern man needs to stop seeking praise. Paul didn't seek praise, and Jesus didn't seek the praise of men. In fact, Paul would write to the Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of man? or of God. If I'm trying to win the approval of man, then I'm not a slave to Jesus Christ. I'm not a bondservant, a doulos to Jesus Christ. Number two, we need to stop being self-deprecating. Ladies, how unenjoyable is it to be around the guy that feels sorry for himself? Is it attractive? Mm -mm. Now, I appreciate like four ladies said, it's real unacceptable. Thank y'all. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You got me. It's, guys, you there. I don't know where dudes got off thinking like, if I feel sorry for myself, she'll feel sorry for me. And no girl wants to be with a dude, a cat that feels sorry for himself. Like, don't be self-deprecating. And you may you may be a person with low self-esteem. What's going to grow your self-esteem is not the praise of others, but the confidence that comes from walking with Jesus. You walk with Jesus, you will be confident. You will not be self-deprecating because what he says to be true about you is what you'll believe to be true about you. Number three, five things modern man needs to stop. Stop complaining. Stop complaining. Don't complain. You should, fellas, it should be a determination that nothing can make you complain. 
One of my favorite personal maxims in life, I've got maxims and resolutions that I try to live by. One of them is that godly men, what, what, what we call, what, what I've written is like gospel man um, credentials. One of those is that gospel men look for opportunities where others see only despair. You, can't, you ain't going to make me complain. Don't, like, like, have that mind that you will not complain. Jesus would say uh, in Philippians 2, don't murmur, don't grumble, don't grumble. Don't be, whi- don't be whiny. I say this, my youngest child is a 10-year-old boy, and I say to him, don't, you're not, you don't get to whine, man. You don't get to be whiny. We got a generation, generational issue right now. And here's what's driving it. We have celebrated, in your generation, we've celebrated victimhood. And it's like people are scrambling to be the greater victim. There ain't nothing to celebrate about victimhood. As a follower of Jesus, he wants to bring... Now, I want to say this, gently and sensitively, that if you have been the victim of abuse, neglect, abandonment, you got some issues that you need to walk out, but God's people coming together, pastoral counsel, let's walk that out and let's find sure footing in life and at some point recognize that Christ has called you to conquer that thing that the enemy would use to defeat. Stop complaining. Number four, stop making excuses. Don't make excuses. Just just take responsibility. Accept responsibility. Don't make excuses. There's a difference in a reason and an excuse. I didn't make it to work on time because I totaled my car in a head-on collision because a drunk driver hit me and, and I'm at the hospital. That's a reason. Not my fourth snooze bar didn't actually go off and it actually I turned the alarm off after hitting the snooze for 45 minutes and so now I'm just barely making it. So, yeah, but so, so don't make excuses. And number five, stop breaking promises. Could we please, as men who say we're Christ followers, keep our promises? Could we, when we stand before God and man and, make, and enter into a covenant relationship with the woman, could you go ahead and plan right now that you're going to stay married to her for the rest of your life? That you're going to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Your daddy didn't do it. My daddy didn't do it. Stop breaking promises. There needs to be a generation of men that say, we're going to hold fast to the promises of God and the promises that we make are promises we're going to keep. Act like men. The next category is, I think there are three duties of godly men. The first one is to be a visionary and a planner. Ladies, you got a crush on that guy? What's his plan? About what? Life. Okay, like, like he is not going to be a perpetual 20-year-old. So what's his plan? Where is he going? He doesn't have to have his career filled picked out but does he set goals does he move aggressively towards those goals does he have financial goals does he have educational goals does he has have vocational goals is he a dude that's driven does he have vision does he have planning number two second second duties of a man to build and supply bible in in uh, genesis chapter two when god puts adam in the garden he puts him in there to work and cultivate the garden but he also number three Puts him in there to guard and fight against the enemy. God, in uh, Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says that uh, God comes to Adam and he says, says, the Lord God put the man in the garden to work and keep, that's to cultivate. 
That's to work, to cultivate, to build, to work, and to keep. That's to protect, to guard, to defend. What are we fighting for? What are we fighting against? Paul writes to Timothy and says, but you, O man of God, pursue these things. And he says, fight the good fight of faith. A man of God, a woman of God, we are determined by what we fight for. We're determined by what we fight for. We fight for holiness. We fight for those that are marginalized. We fight to make the name of Jesus known. And last, let me give you three masculine traits. Enterprise, constancy, and readiness. Enterprise, constancy, and readiness. Now, we could unpack all of those and spend a lot of time, but we're down to like six minutes left here. So let me just give you some thoughts out of the text, life coaching. Someone, says, so, someone will say to me oftentimes, I mean, if you go back and tell yourself when you're 25, you know, what, what would, go back and talk to your 25-year-old self, what will you say? Let me give you three things I would say to my 25-year-old self. I got saved when I was 20, started snowboarding when I was 25. Let me tell you what I would say to my 25-year-old self. I'll give you three things. All in the context of when I became a man, I put away the things that are childish. I stopped doing childish things. I did away with childish things. The first one is this. The race is going to be long. Life is long in one sense, but life is short. And the older you get, the more brief it feels. The first thing I would say to you is simply this. Be faithful. Be faithful faithful like every day get up in the morning be faithful to the lord be faithful to your friends be faithful to your community be faithful to spend time in god's word we talked about that last night that's what we're anchored to talked about that this morning in spencer's uh, session be faithful like it's not one of the things i'll tell you this one of the things is i've gotten into my 50s one of the things that has been incredible is this I remember in my, even in my early 30s, getting up in the morning and drilling so deeply into theological study in my personal quiet time. And I've come to this place where I just love to drink in the Word of God, just soak it up, talk through it, worship the Lord, not feeling like I've got to take some theological nugget out the door to show somebody. I'm going to be honest with you. I love every one of you. I don't know 90% of you, but I don't really care what you think theologically as far as, could you show me something? What I care about is how is that theology driving you? How is it shaping you? How is it pushing you to love people and proclaim the gospel? It's not about what you know. I don't care what you know. It's more about what do you submit to, what shapes you, you take that theological truth, does it mold you into the man or the woman that God wants you to be? The older I get, the more I realize faithfulness starts with surrender to the word of God every single day. And then just be faithful for that day. Writer of Hebrews says, every day has its own evil, and the evil of that day is sufficient for that day. So the pressure, in one sense, the pressure is off. Just get up tomorrow morning. You'll be here tomorrow morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. Next month on a Wednesday, Saturday, get up, open God's word, take your hot drink of choice or whatever. I like to drink coffee in the morning. Some people don't. But I like to sit by my fire, man, my wood stove, get that fire going, sit down. It's cold outside and just read my Bible. 
so simple. Even a caveman can do it. All right, so second thing is this. Second thing is this. If I could go back and tell my, uh, my 25-year-old self, um, and it's this. Take the Sabbath principle serious. Take the Sabbath principle serious. Let me explain what that means. We're talking about going the distance, running the race, not drifting. I, I, I view my daily quiet time as a sort of Sabbath. So if you go back and you look at the Old Testament teaching on Sabbath, the Sabbath was a, a time set aside for rest and worship. So in the mornings for me, get up in the morning, and I like to do, I really encourage an early morning time with the Lord because that's what Jesus did, and I think he set that example. But then also, I think of it as the first fruits of my day. You are fresh in the morning. Your mind is, is, is most alert and aware. Some of you are like, speak for yourself. <laughs> but you know what I mean, once you're up and moving, if you need to go for a little brisk walk first or whatever. But, but in the mo- every day, I imagine that I'm taking a little miniature Sabbath, a time set aside for rest and worship. Now, I've just slept, so what do I mean by rest? Soul rest, mental rest, the phone's in another room. There are no images coming at me. There's no conversation being had. I'm just sitting still before the Lord. I encourage you to do that. Like sit still before the Lord and listen to what God has to say to you through his word so daily. And then the week, then I take that Sabbath principle weekly. I carve out three to four hours where I'm by myself somewhere with no phone, no podcast playing. But a lot of times for me, that, that is just a walk in the woods, a walk in the city. Or just go somewhere where, you know, where nobody knows your name, nobody expects anything of you. Take four hours and go somewhere at least once a week, unplug from everything. It's good for your soul. And then monthly, once a month, I go somewhere for a whole day by myself. And you're like, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I got school, I got work, and I got, I bet you could probably do it if you, if you get creative with your calendar. Bet you could, you'll have a lot more. I'll t- let me just, let me give you the, like my day-to-day responsibilities. 90% finished writing a book right now, have a podcast, preach at Snowbird, preach at Red Oak Church, have six children, active in the community. We're all busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. But you can't afford not to unbusy yourself to enter into the Sabbath principle on a daily, weekly, and monthly um, like, like cadence. And then the last thing is this. The Word of God and the Gospel literally gives us life. I need this every single day to live and flourish and be effective and be a loving person and to be a person of conviction and resolve and to conquer strongholds and struggles. The Word of God and the Gospel are what you need every day. I need it every day. The Word of God and the Gospel. So I'm not just studying the Scripture, but I'm thinking of what God has done for me through His Gospel. It'll humble you. When you think about the gospel, you see others through the lens of the gospel. I've, I've, the older I get, the less critical I've become of other people. I find that, that I'm quicker to show grace, and I think it's for this reason. The longer you journey on this walk with the Lord called sanctification, the more you realize your own shortcomings and failures, and the more you realize the value of God's grace to you, and the more you'll want to give that grace to others. Just ask, self-quiz, am I a person that is abundant in my expressions and extensions of grace to others? Or am I critical? Am I judgmental? Am I condescending? Because what we've received from Jesus is not condescension. 
It's not criticism. In fact, uh, James writes that the Lord gives us wisdom liberally and without reproach. Without reproach, the idea is he doesn't hold it over us, lord it over us as if to say, you don't really know anything, but I'm going to give you this nugget and kind of bring you along. He gives it to us liberally. He's gracious with his people, so we need to be gracious with others. So if I can go back and be 25 again, start this thing all over, and I know some of you are five years away from 25, six years away from 25. If I go back where you're at, start it all over, I'd, I'd, I'd set, I'd chart a course to be faithful every day, every single day. I'd take the Sabbath principle serious, and I'd really try to surrender to the Lord and to his gospel daily, and expressions of that would be the way I love people, the way I care about people greatest expression of that being sharing the gospel with them being kind to others super simple but i think super attainable let's pray thanks for listening we hope this has encouraged you in your walk with christ be sure to give us a rating and review and for more snowbird content check out our other podcast no sanity required